Well, first of all, um, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to follow the video, and then I had to try and follow the video and Preston. <laughs> but uh, thank you all so much. It, uh, it really means an awfully lot. Um, you know, as, as someone has mentioned, <clears throat> you know, as a pastor, you have your good days and your bad days, just like you do with any other, you know, occupation. And uh, I can ride that for a long while now. So <laughs> thank you very much. I sincerely mean that. <clears throat> All right. Well, three weeks ago, we started this series um, called How Is Your Soul? Could you open that for me? Thank you. Um, the first sermon we talked about uh, your interior life, right? The kind of your, um, the whole idea of your prayer life, your devotional life, and so forth, and, and really how important it is that everybody has one, right? That you're in God's word, that you're praying, and so forth on a, on a regular basis. Then secondly, we talked about family life. And we, re we went over the fact that you know, your family is a treasure, as well as uh, perhaps a place for discipleship and as well a mission field at times. So third sermon, we talked about work. And probably the biggest takeaway from that, I felt, was the fact that we really need to think about work more as a place for provision and less as a place for, you know, to enable us to conspicuously consume, right? The, the, you know, the Bible talks about we work to provide for ourselves and our family. We don't necessarily work um, to have all the extras. Now, if you can, that's great. So those were the three that we've talked about up to this point. And so today we're going to talk about calling. And the opening scripture um, for today is a familiar one, I think, for many people. This is uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Um, what is known uh, by most as the Great Commission. And so let's read it together. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that really is, you know, God's great commission to us. <clears throat> it also forms the very last words of Matthew's gospel. And I think Matthew sort of knew this principle that last words are lasting words. And, you know, that what you read last tends to be what you really tend to remember. And so, you know, he chose very carefully, I think, under the Holy Spirit's direction, the words that he wanted to have linger in people's minds after they had finished reading all that he had written. And so he records the central command of Jesus, which is to make disciples. Well, and so how does he propose to do this? And of all the ways, <clears throat> all the possible ways that he could have come up with, to make disciples, the shocking news is he decided to do it through us, his followers. That was the plan from the very beginning. And so this whole project that he's sort of put in motion, 
by these words only goes forward insofar as Jesus' agents, in other words, us, the people that he has commanded to do this, take it forward. You know, when I hear somebody say something like, well, I just can't, I just can't wait for the world to end, or I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Well, my, my, kind of my first unspoken thought is, so in the meantime, what are you doing to make that happen? Right? Because scripture is pretty clear that the gospel, that the world doesn't end until the gospel is preached to everyone and everyone has a chance. And so it kind of leads us into this question that uh, one of the questions that I want to ask today. And the first one is this. Do you have a mission in life or does a mission have you? Do you have a mission in life or does a mission have you? And what's sort of curious about that is, you know, in this day when we have, uh, you know, our sense of calling tends to be rooted in the sense of special or unique or, you know, our particular area, it's sort of odd if we go back and we reflect on the fact that Jesus really gave everybody the very same calling. You know, there wasn't any kind of nuance or difference. He said, go and make disciples. And so uh, as I was thinking about that sentiment and this idea of do you have a mission or does a mission have you, uh, the one person that came to my mind uh, is a lady that I'm sure is familiar to many of you, and her name is Heidi Baker. And um, I can't think of anyone who lives at the center of their calling more than she does. Uh, and I can't think of anyone who probably more clearly evidences Jesus to those who are around her than she does. Uh, she is the embodiment, I think, of that phrase of, I don't have a mission, a mission has me. I mean, she is captivated. Jesus gives her a vision for what he is asking her to do, and she just goes and does it. And I found a little clip about Heidi that... Uh, I thought was pretty interesting. This is it's a promo or part of a promo for Iris Ministries, which is her particular ministry. But uh, she says a couple of things in here that I think are important for us today. So I'm just going to play this for you. I was surrounded by thousands and thousands of children. At the time, I had 320 who called me mama, and I screamed, no, there are too many, too many children. And then, oh, then, there he was. There he was again. <laughs> My Jesus, standing, looking at me, he said, you give them something to eat. He said, I died that there would always be enough. And again, Jesus said, look into my eyes. And I gazed into the beauty, the beauty of Jesus. And he said, I died 
that there would always be enough. She's crazy for God, I would think. <laughs> he tried to kill me when I first came here. <laughs> <laughs> and since that day, <laughs> since that day, I've never been afraid. I've never been afraid to take a single dying child, a single broken child. There's enough fresh bread, spiritual bread, physical bread. For each one, each one. I read an article to her one day. I said, Heidi, look here. It says here in, in East Africa, they're having a civil war. And the communists and the rebels are fighting. It's so evil. The, the violence is so great. The armies are literally blowing up the people that are coming with medicine to help the wounded. That's how drastic it is. And Heidi's first response was, oh, let's go there. <laughs> That's all she needed to know. Let's go there. And we have the heart of the Father beating in us. Then we will start to see the one. That's, that's the gospel. Stop for the one. Love the one. That one will stop for another one. If you say you love God, then you will love the person in front of you. You will love your neighbor. That's the gospel. Now, she is an extraordinary woman, and she has an extraordinary love for God, and she has an extraordinary ministry. I mean, her husband, Roland, who you saw very briefly there, they have planted literally hundreds of churches in Mozambique and, and I think other countries in Africa. And they are, I mean, responsible in through doing this for thousands of people coming to know Jesus. And yet, you know, if, if you think about what she said there, her evangelism advice is really pretty simple. Love the one. Love the one who's next to you. Love the one who is hurting. Love the one who is in need. Just love the one. That's all we have to do. What Heidi essentially says is this. The Great Commission is the counterpart of the Great Commandment to love God and neighbor. See, without love, evangelism is cold and hard and seems more concerned with numbers. And it tends to alienate rather than attract. It's never going to embody the spirit of heaven because that's the place where love is the universal language. And so that leads us right into this whole first point, which is that God has this burning desire. Scripture here is from John, another probably even more familiar scripture than the one we just saw, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, the gospel begins with God's love. It penetrates throughout the cross and the empty tomb. 
and results in eternal life for anyone who believes. See, notice that the cross is not said to show us the love of the Son. It's said to show us the love of the Father. The whole atonement proceeds from the loving heart of God. It's not something we have to perform for or grab from him when he's not looking. And so to describe this love, John chose a verb that he uses here for the very first time. The verb is agapao. And it has a number of meanings, but for the most part what it means is to love, value, esteem, to feel or manifest genuine concern for, to be faithful towards, to delight in. All of those things are, are kind of comprised of that word. And he uses it a lot in his first epistle as he's describing the love of Christians toward one another. But it's also a word that's used by Matthew and Mark and Luke when they quote Jesus talking about the second greatest commandment to love, to agapao, your neighbor as yourself. Is your neighbor a lesbian or a gay couple? You're supposed to love them. Is your neighbor a cranky, cantankerous old man, unlike Richard? <laughs> you must love them. Does your neighbor prefer Fox News over MSNBC? You still have to love them. And the reverse holds true as well. See, John Wimber often said that the work of Jesus is everyone's calling. To love the unlovable, to serve our enemies, to care for the poor, strengthen the weak, heal the sick, equip the saints, and do the work of the kingdom. And so God's love for the world has got to become our love for the world. His burning desire has got to become our burning desire. And first and foremost, it's what we are called to do. Point number two, God has a brilliant design. For this, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 7, which says, Now to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God's brilliant design was to model his church after what may be his most mag magnificent creation, and that's the human body. See, each body part has something significant to do. And each body part has been given the Holy Spirit. But see, Paul didn't speak solely of just the Spirit's indwelling presence here. He talks about a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so this terminology indicates that every believer has some display of the Holy Spirit's presence in his or her life. And that manifestation has a common goal, or excuse me, a particular goal, and the goal is the common good. See, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not principally for the edification of individuals who receive them, but for the good of all believers and even non-believers. 
See, in the same section of 1 Corinthians, he's discussing the gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy as they relate to an unbeliever. And he raises this gift of prophecy above tongues for the simple reason that it has a greater impact on the non-believer. Prophecy can bring about a lot of conviction and a lot of judgment. And the unbeliever's heart is then exposed. And they might fall down and worship and really acknowledge God's presence. But what if you don't have that gift of prophecy? Not, not all of us have it to the same degree. I would argue that many of us do in lesser, uh, in lesser ways. But if you don't have that gift, Paul says it really doesn't matter. Because all we need to do is use the gifts that we have, the gifts that we have been given, because they're all important and they're all necessary. Now, I, when I teach the growth track class, one of the things that I emphasize is this idea that Emptying the trash is just as important as preaching the word. Now you may think, well, that's, that can't be right. But it is. Think about it. I could come in here and I could preach, you know, a fantastic sermon. And some, a new visitor might not ever come back. And, and the reason might be is that all they see are these overflowing trash cans everywhere with garbage just heaped around. And their impression is that this church really doesn't care all that much about what it looks like or anything along those lines. And so it is just as important. The smallest job, that job of taking out the trash is clearly just as important as anything else. So another question that I would ask you is, do you love who God has made you uniquely to be? Or do you constantly compare yourself to other people? Each of us has been made in the glorious image of God. And we are all very, very special. And so our special reflection of God's heart is clearly shaped in some cases by genetics, by personality, by upbringing, by our way of thinking, by our skill sets, sometimes by our own inclinations and maybe even our natural giftedness. But it's all precious to him. We're like a piece of stained glass through which God, God's light uniquely streams. And when you put all the pieces together, you can see the brilliance of the master's design. The third point this morning is that God also has a bright destiny. Not just for one, but for everyone. Scripture here is from Philippians 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This was written because it seems that there were some folks in Philippi 
who thought they had already reached the goal of Christian perfection, that they had arrived. And so Paul recognizes that there is a call on Christians to aspire to the highest standards, just as Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But he never, never did Paul claim to have reached that goal of perfection. Rather, he says he's going to press on. And this word that he uses that we translate as press on literally means to pursue. And it's the same word by which he describes persecuting the early church. So he's going to go after God now just as hard as he went after people who said Jesus was the Messiah. He wants to take hold of that great purpose for which Christ had taken hold of him. You know, there are ways in which Christians should remember the acts of God in the past. And Paul knew that he must not dwell on the past, whether it was good things or bad things, because the failure and sins of the past have been forgiven. And, you know, whatever he had achieved that far in his own ministry really didn't matter either because he knew that you can't be content to just rest in that. You know, if I had a mind to stop, this would be a good place, you know, to stop being in ministry after today. That was, that'd be a, I'd feel pretty good about that. Okay, this is my resume. But that's not, that's not what I'm called to do, right? It's not what any of us are called to do, is to just kind of stop. And so what Paul said was he wanted to be found straining towards what lay ahead. And so to express that, he uses this very strong word that's sort of applicable to an athletic contest or a chariot race. Every fiber of his being was set on the goal and the purpose of his Christian life. And clearly he saw the goal of his life as telling everybody about Jesus. So here is the question that I want you to consider as we leave today. Is the good news of God's resurrecting love and his new creation yet to come just for you or for everyone? Now, I don't want you to hear this in an accusatory manner because that's not how I mean it. I just want you to hear it and really think about it. Because how you answer this question is going to be how you go about fulfilling the Great Commission. <coughs> and it's really not that hard because like Heidi said, you just have to love the one. You know, through the individual design that we have, God is gonna lead us to delightful and stunning opportunities to extend the love of his kingdom to others. And so we really have two jobs, I think. One is to know, to know God and to be made whole by God. 
And then the second half of that is to turn around and, you know, initiate that same kind of intimate exchange of life with God for someone else so that they can begin to have that same experience and that same understanding. So think about this. Is the good news of God's resurrecting love and his new creation yet to come just for you or is it for everyone else? Let's pray. Spirit of God, we say that it is your voice that we desire to hear above the din of all the others. Those voices that clamor for our attention in so many different ways. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say for us each day as it relates to our calling, as it relates to our being a follower of Jesus, and particularly as it relates to our specific role in the mission that you've laid before us to love the world to wholeness. And so it is in Jesus' name that we all offer ourselves to you. Amen.